and welcome to the Iran Podcast. I'm your host, Negar Murtazavi in Washington, D.C. In this episode, we'll talk about beer, a special kind of beer called back home beer uh, that has a very interesting history and includes flavors from Iran. I'll talk to the founder and CEO of a new brewing company who will give us all of these very interesting details about her own background and how she started this new line of beer in New York. My guest today is Zahra Tabataboyi, the founder and CEO of Back Home Beer, who's joining me from Brooklyn today. Zahra, welcome to the Iran Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So let's first talk about your background a little bit. Obviously, you're Iranian-American. You're, the name of your company is very self-explanatory, Back Home Beer. You've started this uh, company, and I wish our audience could see the little logo you have. It's an icon of the famous Freedom Tower, Azadi Tower, or the former Shahya Tower in Tehran, turned into a little um, beer uh, glass kind of, right, with foam coming up from the top. So it's very much uh, an Iranian-American-themed uh, uh, company. Talk about your background, first of all, and who Zahra is, essentially, as an Iranian-American. Um, so I'm Zahra. I am the owner of Back Home Beer, which I started not too long ago. Before that, I was doing some home brewing, making some beer um, based on some of the recipes of my grandfather. And so um, it's only been a few years where I've kind of delved into this hobby that turned into a business. And before that, I was actually working um, in news. I was doing some news writing. I worked at a different, uh, I worked at Fox News, Fox Business, um, and a few other publications where I was writing. And so the, the entire, um, I guess, business of back home beer and beer in general is very new to me and starting my own business is certainly very new as well. And talk about your own family background because back home beer is sort of, you grew up in the U.S., but your family is obviously from Iran and you have an extended family in the U.S. Talk about how your family from Iran ended up in the U.S. and how you grew up with this Iranian immigrant community in the in America. Yeah, so my family, like many other families, they immigrated here a few years before the revolution. My parents met in college at the University of Alabama. They were both here studying from Iran. And they decided to stay um, once once the revolution happened and basically build a life in the States. And so my grandmother, my mom's sisters, everyone kind of came over at the same time. And we landed in a, a pretty small town in Georgia and we built our own community there because it's not it was not such a diverse community. And so we had all of our family kind of in the same neighborhood or within a couple of miles of each other. And so I did grow up with a lot of tradition that was very important for my family to continue that um, because in their in their mind that they were going to have a family and raise that family in Iran. And so when that was taken away from them, they, they decided to make sure that they continued those traditions in the States. And so that went from everything from uh, packing some uh, 
traditional Iranian food and my lunch to school, mm-hmm. to going to Farsi school, um, and making sure that we celebrated all the holidays together. And so that was a very important part for me growing up was our culture and our family made sure that they highlighted that throughout my childhood. Great. And how did you come about to start this back home beer, um, you know, just brewing beer? I know your grandfather was a big inspiration. Talk about him and how you ended up becoming a brewer yourself. Yes. So he was brewing beer. He was also making wine. He was doing all of that kind of within his walled garden in Shiraz. And when he was doing it, it was in the 50s and 60s, even right into the 70s. Um, And so it was perfectly legal for him to be doing what he was doing. He was able to make his recipes. He was able to share his recipes um, with his neighbors, family, friends. And so um, that was a big part of what he did as a hobby. And so I heard these stories kind of growing up about him because he passed um, shortly after they emigrated to the States. And so really all I had of him were um, these memories that my mom and her sisters and grandmother all kind of passed down to me. And they shared a lot about his hobbies. They shared a lot about what he did and how he made the beer and what he would use in it. And so, um, you know, as you know, it's very important in our culture that everything is kind of surrounded by food and drink. Mm -hmm. And so it was often a topic that we spoke about when we were cooking or in the kitchen and all together. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's really, um, what brought me to back home beer was essentially, um, my grandmother making kind of a comment in passing, like, oh, I just, you know, I wish I just had another taste of his or, um, I miss this, the somak and this drink or, you know, she just made a few comments in passing and, then I had the idea to just take a couple classes thinking how hard can it be to just brew some beer at home. And I took up classes at a homebrew shop. I watched a lot of YouTube videos and bought a book and decided to brew my first beer. And I used Zedeshk, which is barberries in that one. And I made a sour beer, which was really delicious um, that I shared with a lot of people. And that kind of gave me the motivation to try out different flavors and send the bottles to them down in Georgia or take them with me when I would travel down there so that they can try it as well. Mm -hmm. So from Shiraz to Brooklyn is essentially through Georgia. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about the ingredients now. I've tried a couple of your beers, the Persian blue and the Mm -hmm. sumac, um, the sumac beer, the, the sour beer. Yes. That was very distinct. Um, and they also have very beautiful cans with a Persian uh, poetry design. So let's first talk about the ingredients and how you what what inspires you to use these ingredients from Iran or the region, and how you essentially come up with a final product. So um, for the Persian blue, that one I use some salt that's from Semnan, Iran. It's one of the only edible blue salts in the world. When you look at the salt uh, rocks, they are mined and they truly look like crystals. They're very beautiful. That one I had the idea because a lot of people that are Middle Eastern, um, especially a lot of people in my family and friends, they always would put a pinch of salt in their beer. And so I had the idea to brew with some salt. And when I started to do some R&D and try different types of salt, um, 
nine, every single time I I would pick the blue salt and it was because it was a more mild salt. It's mined, which makes it have kind of a more earthy smokiness to it. And of course, it's from Semnon, which was very important to me also to just highlight ingredients that are coming from different parts of the region. Um, so that was Persian blue. And for the somar goza, that style, my grandfather, he used a lot of somar in his beers. And so I just came across this somar that had been cured, which means it was packed in salt. Mm -hmm. And naturally, I decided to brew it in a goza, which is a style of beer that is always salted. Mm -hmm. And um, basically also pair that with the sour cherries, the albalu and give it really an authentic Persian tart flavor. Um, and so I really love that beer. It's a bright red color because it literally sat on like hundreds and hundreds of pounds of albalu, which is the sour cherry. And I brewed it with, you know, about 50, 60 pounds of this cured sumac um, to give it a really tart and dry finish there. Mm -hmm. um you, I, I can see this also on your website for those who are interested. There's essentially the red beer um, that you talked about, the sumac and the tart cherries, which is also very Iranian. Mm -hmm. And then the Persian blue, uh, that's a lager um, that has the Persian blue salt. And then you are also introducing a new flavor, the new day. And it has a beautiful design by a Washington, D.C., designer Mina Jafari also a friend of ours talk about and by the way the Iran podcast logo was also designed by the same designer Mina Jafari oh, let's wow. give a shout out to her yes um, <laughs> talk about this new flavor and how you were inspired to come up with this also around the time of Nowruz which is the Persian New Year, new year at the beginning of spring yeah so this one I had been planning for a few months um, because it was really important for me when I started this journey to basically share a lot of the traditions that we hold as Iranians and share it with people that might not know much about our culture um, that was also a big part of why I started the beer company in general because of you know what people know about beer in Iran and I wanted to kind of change that narrative a little bit and so for this beer I really wanted to highlight some ingredients from the half scene which is the traditional table arrangement that we have in all of our households during Noruz and so um, I chose to use apple and um, somar from the half scene and I also put in a good amount of wheat in the base of the grain for the beer um, just to be able to um, round out the flavor and it was really nice to be able to do that because then I could share with a lot of people this is our tradition this is what we do during the month of March and for from Noruz and for the 13 days and share that and have a story that goes along with the beer. Um, and like you mentioned, I called it New Day for Noruz, um, and that's how we came up with the name. And then for the design, I really love the um, the Horshid Hanum, which is the sun lady. And I found Mina um, through social media, and I just loved her work. It's so authentic and beautiful. And she came up with this beautiful design um, and her interpretation of Horshid Hanum to put onto the can. 
And um, it represents so, it's so symbolic because it also came out today on International Women's Day. So there were so many layers to this uh, can and to this beer that I was really excited about. Excellent. I'm excited about trying this new beer. I've tried your two other beers and I'm now excited. I'm also looking at the can. It says Haruzatan Nooruz on the can, mm-hmm. which means um, your every day is a new day, essentially. And your beer is exactly the New Day IPA and the Khoshit Khanu, which is the Lady of the Sun. It's just the cans are so beautiful. Um, I wish we had video, but I encourage our audience to go and check out your website, Back Home Beer, to see the beautiful designs that are associated with the beer. And um, thank you. Sure. And Zahra, let's also talk about um, being a woman owned uh, beer company in Brooklyn, New York. I'm sure it's a very competitive market across the US and especially also in New York. And um, I just want to hear about some of the challenges that you faced. Um, doing this fairly recent, uh, starting this endeavor and uh, the uh, the difficulties of sort of um, creating a space for yourself in this industry? Yeah. So, I mean, I think from the start, it was a little bit tricky because I did um, decide right before COVID to incorporate. And so the hardest hit businesses were bars and restaurants. And so I did have to kind of wait for a longer time to get started. And also in terms of licensing, that's been really difficult. Um, I think as a woman and somebody starting out new, it is difficult for people to take you seriously, especially if you haven't been involved in the beer industry for, um, you know, 20 plus years, which is oftentimes the case for somebody who is trying to start a new beer company. And so I think a lot of people were just thinking kind of, who is this person? What is she doing? What are these ideas? A lot of the um, the hardest part was certainly at the beginning, trying to find a space that would allow me to rent their tanks essentially and brew the beer there. Because when you're starting out, you can't just, you know, raise millions of dollars to open up your own brewery. You have to go around and you have to ask uh, existing breweries if they have the space and if they'll allow you to come rent space. And so I tried for many months to just find a facility that would allow me to brew the beers and I'd have to explain what I was trying to do. And a lot of people just said no or they didn't really believe in what I was trying to do or um, they weren't interested in the ingredients I was using because you know, they have to approve all these things for their system. And so I do think that was one of the most difficult parts was just someone taking me seriously and what I was trying to do. Um, Luckily, I did find a brewery out in Staten Island, which was the last place I thought (laughs) I would find. Um, And it was three guys and they were basically like, all right, we have no idea what any of these ingredients are, but we welcome you to come and you know, uh, rent our space and brew your beer. And so that's kind of how it all started was just, um, was getting that first brew day and was really exciting. And then from there, it's 
you know, I just launched in October. So it's only been about what, four, five months now. But I think from the first brew, you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know how people are going to respond. But the response has been really amazing. And that's just what's been able to keep me going because I produce a beer, I take the money from that beer, and I'm able to produce another one. Then I'm able to increase my production size. And it all comes from the support and for for, from people going out and purchasing the beer that allows me to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And you're also uh, distributing it not only in New York City, but now in Washington, D.C. I've bought your beer here at a store in D.C. And I know you're also distributing in a few restaurants and bars with Middle Eastern ties or Iranian places. Talk about the distribution um, plan that you have and the challenges of that, of getting your beer essentially out to the, into the hands of the customers. Yeah. So in New York city and in DC, you are able to self-distribute. So you don't have to use a distributor. You can actually go out, you can license your car and you can put all the beer in your car and get out there and just deliver it yourself. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I have a very small and old Toyota Prius (laughs) and I shove as much beer as I can get in there. And I go out one to two times per week and I deliver to all of my clients. If I have to do more than that, I will, but I make sure to get everyone restocked um, within a week. And so DC has the same rules. They also have a very relaxed liquor authority there, which is why um, I decided to come to DC. That along with the fact that they have such a huge Middle Eastern population in the DMV area, I thought it would be a great market for us. Um, It's only a three and a half hour drive for me. So kind of all of those things together allowed me to distribute at least once a month to the DC area as well. Um, And so that's kind of the scale right now. Of course, in the future, I would love to be able to get a larger vehicle, um, possibly some help on delivery days or somebody to help me and actually go out and do the delivery so I can kind of do the sales side. So that's the plan for the future. But right now it's me just delivering um, all of the beer that you are drinking and what everyone else is drinking has traveled in the Prius. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Let's go back to your um, family back home and here in the U.S. What do they think of this, of your new uh, venture and also of the flavors? Do you run the flavors by your family? Have they uh, suggested different flavors for you? Have they specifically liked something or disliked something? Uh, Talk about some of that back and forth, because I'm sure the Iranian family would have a lot of input into into food and drinks. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, they have a lot of opinions on everything and they like to have a say in what's going on. They're all really excited for what I'm doing. Um, They're all very supportive. They have been even for the couple of years that I was homebrewing and I was sending them bottles. They had, they would tell me what they liked, what they didn't like. I tried a lot of ingredients that I haven't um, done at this scale yet. Things like limu amuni that I uh, brewed in a wheat beer. Um, uh, I mentioned the barberries before. Um, So there's a lot of things that they've tasted that I haven't even had the time to come out with yet, but those are coming in the future. And they definitely, they have an opinion. They, we have a family text and they say what they think about it and they all have their input. And so a lot of times I'll tweak the recipes, I'll send them new bottles and um, they definitely help me get to the point where I can actually use the recipe and scale it to a system here and bring it to market. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, Zahra, how do you source your ingredients? Because some of these are, you know, very Iranian or Middle Eastern uh, ingredients and flavors that you're using. Do you get a lot of material from the region or are you able to buy it locally? How is your uh, sourcing situation? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the product, but I do try my best to source ingredients from uh, the region in general. And I you know, obviously can't get things directly from Iran. And so I do want to highlight some of the countries that are just in the area. So for example, the sumac I can easily get from United States. I mean, there are plenty of suppliers here, but the one that I used for the sumac goza comes from a single farm that's in Gaziantep, Turkey. And that is where it's sourced from. It makes it a little bit more expensive. Um, the lead time is a little bit longer, but it is important for me to include people um, from different parts of the region and to be able to support those people as well. And so I try my best to get these ingredients from different farms um, and different countries within the region and be able to use them in the beer locally here. And um I know this, I'm, I'm trying to keep this as a non-political topic and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but obviously U.S. and Iran, I'm also Iranian-American, both of our countries have had this long uh, political and animosity and the sanctions, for example, issue is impacting my work. It's directly impacting your work. You just mentioned you can't source from Iran. One reason for that, I assume, is the sanctions and then also the the laws back there making alcohol sales illegal and also again uh, the US Iran sanctions and trade situation you wouldn't be able to um, send your products to Iran for Iranians to enjoy what are your hopes because right now also there's diplomacy and negotiations happening between Tehran and Washington uh, in Vienna and uh, there could be possibility of a nuclear agreement and a relaxation of some of these economic sanctions and maybe um, some uh, de-escalation of, of this four decade long tension. What are your hopes for the future of these two countries, essentially where you're from the U.S. and also where your family immigrated from, that is Iran? You know, I, I don't know that I could speak on it so specifically, but I mean, I would obviously say that in a broader sense, um, a lot of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is to, A, for my family, when they talk about life back home, it's not obviously what it is today. And so I want to bring them a piece of what they remember, which was pre-revolution when there were breweries and when there were distilleries and when there were vineyards free in the country, um, a time where they remember so fondly. And so, of course, I would love for some of the um, economic sanctions to be, I guess, more, uh, not necessarily, just a bit more lenient um, to be able to exchange things between the two countries would be a beautiful thing. Um, but I definitely want some, I want a relationship with my home country, with my parents' home country. And I do look for that in the days 
ahead. And I am hopeful for that. Um, my dream is to be able to get the beer in Iran. I mean, that would be the ultimate goal and to be able to share it with the people there. There are so many people in the country that are brewing beer and send me their photos of their underground brewing systems. And it is <laughs> incredible what they are able to do with such limited resources, the clarity of their beer, the color of their beer, what they, from what they tell me, the taste of their beer. And so it's, they're such um, a smart and beautiful and creative people. And so my hope is for me to be able to get there one day with my product and share it with, with all of them. Excellent. That's very interesting. So let me just finally ask you to explain to our audience how and where they can get your beer. Right now, it's only possible in New York City and Washington, D.C., I believe. But if you can get right. some details, because I, I also constantly get messages. I posted a couple of pictures of your beers and I get messages from friends and colleagues on where to get the beer. So if you want to um, explain a little bit of that. And obviously they can also go to your website, backhomebeer.com. You're also very active on social media, on Twitter, backhomebeer. But um, talk about where they can get a taste of this backhome beer. Yes. So the beer is available, like you said, throughout New York City and Washington, D.C. And a lot of people ask me if I'm able to ship the beer, but unfortunately, because it's alcohol, the rules are tricky and they vary state to state. So I am working on some options there. For now, though, it's locally available. What you can do is you can go to the website, backhomebeer.com. There is a beer finder that's um, either on the home page, you can access it there, or on the beer page. And you just have to put in your zip code and it will populate all of the closest retailers to you. Um, a lot of stuff I would say is also more updated on my social media. Like you said, I'm more active there. And so on Instagram and on Twitter, um, I usually will update on delivery days. I'll say these are all the places I'm going to. Definitely when I'm going to DC, I have a huge post that says DC drops happening and then I'll highlight all of my deliveries. And so it's mostly available in beer shops, some bars, some restaurants, and um, some grocery stores throughout New York City and throughout Washington, D.C. Fantastic. And uh, finally, let's also talk about Besalamati. You have Besalamati written on your social media. Explain what that is to the audience. So that just means cheers. Um, a lot of people will say that when they're clinking their beer. Um, it can also mean kind of like peace be with you. I think there's a lot of meanings for people, but I think in this sense, it definitely means cheers. Um, and so for me, it was important for me to make it known that this is a beer company where you have a lot of influence and inspiration from the Middle East. And I think I do that in for in little forms like putting Besalamati on my Instagram or the design of our cans using Iranian women to design all of our cans so it's very authentic. And so that's what I'm trying to do in the messaging and the branding of the entire company and business. Great. Well, Besalamati to you. And I look forward to trying that new beer, the new day. Thank you. Besalamati to you as well. I, I'm sure you'll get the opportunity. Um, it's going to be dropping very soon in New York City and in Washington, D.C. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining the Iran podcast. Thank you for having me. 
That was Zahra Tabatabai, the founder and CEO of Back Home Beer, a first-generation and woman-owned beer company in Brooklyn, New York. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Iran Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter at Iran Podcast. You can also support our work by going to anchor.fm slash the Iran Podcast. Until next time, goodbye and be salamati.